Welcome to Healthy Perspectives Podcast with Jeremiah, where we provide clinical perspectives on current social and cultural issues. And don't forget, you can subscribe at Podbean, Spotify, Apple, or anywhere you listen to podcasts. Please subscribe at any or all of them. You can follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Getter, Twitter, and many other social media sites. Or you can email us at healthy perspectives with an S at protonmail.com. Hello, everybody. Today's question, this is what I pose. I, I've been watching all these, these different uh, antics that are being uh, done. And my question of the day is this. When is breaking the law okay? Is it ever okay? I mean, these are, these are questions that we are facing right now, right? So let's take a look at it. And that's what we're going to do today. We're going to take a look at it and we're going to decide if and when is it okay to break the law. I'm going to take a look at this from two different vantage points. Uh, you know, the, the legal right and the moral reasoning. So the legal right is very simple. I'm going to I'm going to start with that one because it sums up pretty efficiently. It's very clear uh and then and then we'll move into the moral reasoning. So there cannot be a legal right to break the law under the law. It would be uh you know it would be like, you know, eating your yourself. You just it, there cannot be a law that allows you to break the law. So in with the legal right, can there be a legal right to break the law? No. And when could there be? Not ever. Now, that doesn't mean that every law is good and wholesome and wonderful, and we're so glad that we've made them. But there's a way to change them, and I'm going to get into that. The law can be changed, so we can change the law so that we are not breaking the law. Every law, you know, this, it actually reminds me, um, there's the specific way to change the law is to create a bill. And when I think about that, I, I think about schoolhouse rock from when I was back in elementary school, you know, the, the little piece of paper sitting at the Capitol Hill is like, I'm just a bill. Yes, I'm only a bill and I'm sitting here on Capitol Hill. And then it goes on and on and it explains the process for making a bill turn into a law. Well, if we want to get rid of a law, we could create a law that gets rid of another law. Um, there's also ways to uh, cut out laws that are in existence. So basically what I want to say with this is I want to remind you that there is a process. The process is not, uh, it's hard to get it through all the way because there's lots of checks and balances. So for instance, a bill goes to, the, you know, a representative has to sponsor it, first of all. So you know, anybody could write a bill. You know, you could you could be in your own local community and say, hey, I think we need a, a, a bill passed that makes it um, illegal to cross over the railroad tracks from six to seven in the morning because we've had too many accidents. Great. You could do that. You could propose that and you send that into your uh, representative or you have your representative create it and then 
they, they, when the representative sponsors a bill, the bill then is assigned to a committee. That's a group of people that is designed to study and review the bill to say, is this something we need to do or is this not something we need to do? Do we already have a mechanism that can accomplish this same thing or do we not have a mechanism to accomplish it? If it gets through the committee and they scrutinize it, their, their design is to you know, shoot holes in it and just decide you know, if it's any good. Then it would go to uh, the House. A simple majority moves it to the Senate. They review and make changes. And then it goes back to the House um, for, for final vote and then to the Senate for final vote. If it gets through there, it could go on to the president or in the states, the governor, and be signed into law. And really, that's, that is it. That is, you want to make a change? That's how you do it. Anybody can submit it. It does have to get sponsored by somebody in the legis legislative branch. So one of your legislatures, um, you're, you're, uh, you, you would then, as a, a, a typical citizen in the United States, if I wrote a bill, I would have to go through my representatives to get that thing sponsored and moved forward. Okay. So, you know, you don't have to have a law degree even to write a bill. Anybody can write the bill. It's just got to be sponsored by a representative. So if you write a really crappy one, it's probably not going to get sponsored. That is it. That it, it's that simple. You want to make changes, you can do it. Um, and many bills never become law. They, you know, they, maybe they get sponsored, they go to committee, they get shot down and it sits there. It's just, it's just a bill that never made it. Uh, a lot of bills die on their way to trying to become law. But then we're going to move into, so that, that's really the simplest. You, you want to make the change, you do it within the system that exists. And that is the system that exists in the United States. We have three branches. We have the legislative branch, the executive branch, and the judicial branch, right? And they all have certain powers. It's very, very simple in theory, but it, comes, it, it becomes very difficult in reality because since they have their own powers and if they disagree, it can shoot things down. So we have to be really thoughtful to do things that are inclusive, uh, that are not just best for one or two people, but are best for the majority or all people. Um, obviously, we can't get all every time, um, but we, we got to shoot for those because those are the ones that are going to most likely make it through committee, make it through the House and the Senate, and eventually be signed by either the governor or the president uh, or vetoed, right? Like if you, if you write a terrible one and it gets through somehow, it could be vetoed by the president or the, the governor. However, remember, those are all typically, I mean, not typically, they are politicians. So they are not necessarily doing what is in your best interest. Now, we would hope that they would. That's the design of it. But they don't always do what's in your best interest. Sometimes they play, you know, what we would call a long game, right? And in that, they could say no to something as a way of gaining some sort of influence um, to tie it into other things. So you'll see things like good bills being lumped in with other things so that hopefully 
they could pass things that you may not actually want or need. Um, and they often do that when there's a funding issue because it's a way of getting monetary stuff attached to things. Um, I'm not going to get into the details of that. You know, this is not, you know, a, a political podcast, um, but it is important because in the culture, it is important to know how to change a system if the system isn't working. Well, if this is our system, we usually have to use this system to make the change. Now, there's, there are some exceptions that some people would suggest, and that is moral reasons, moral reasons. So for instance, there were laws about uh, voting and about who could vote and who could not vote. Now, it's been opened up to where if you're a citizen, you can vote, period. Doesn't matter if you're male or female, black or white, uh, old or young, um, obviously within a certain age range, right? You can't vote under 18, but once you're 18 and up, you can vote every single time that there's something to vote on. However, when we look at the moral stuff, it becomes way more complex. So we're going to wrestle with that for a few minutes. We're going to wrestle with that because if you break the law, you break the law. Civil disobedience by nature means to break the law on purpose. And that comes with a consequence. When laws are broken, a price has to be paid of some sort. In civil disobedience, it's a nonviolent approach. So I'm going to just go into that for just a second. If you protest, let's say, and the law says you are not allowed to be, uh, you know, blocking streets, let's say, because the law does say that, you know, in, in order to get a, uh, in a you, you have to order a permit to, to change that, to get a temporary order to change that. So there is a way to go about it without breaking the law. But if you did it without getting the permit, technically you are breaking the law. So there are people that do these, uh, you know, these quick gatherings, right? They have these groups and they say, okay, everybody to this spot. And they, they show up. There is a good chance they are breaking the law. Now, not always. Sometimes, you know, you go to a park, it's a public place. You can be in the park. When it pours out into the streets is when it becomes a legal issue. Now, if you obey, if you obey all the laws, then there's no issue, right? If you don't obey all the laws, it would be considered uh, civic, civil, diso uh, yeah, civil disobedience. Sorry, tongue-tied. So when we talk about moral reasoning, we have to be really careful because we can't necessarily lean on the legislative, executive, or judicial branches. They are not, in that situation, designed to protect you. So you could be taking a risk of being in jail. And we see that when we see civil disobedience. People do get arrested because they technically are breaking the law and they may be doing it in a way that is peaceful in nature. But if they're breaking the law, they're breaking the law. It's like if you're speeding and you get caught, you broke the law. 
you can't excuse that away saying, but you know, there was this thing going and, you know, the bee stung me on the neck and I accidentally hit the gas. But like, you know, you, you, I mean, you can make up whatever excuse you want. Did you break the law or did you not break the law? Where the legislative, executive and judicial branches come into play is they can help us change laws quickly. So if we, you know, do a, a, a legal gathering and we state our opinions and the politicians that are representing us pay attention and agree that what we're saying is, is good and healthy for our people, they could very quickly sponsor a bill and get laws into place so that we can change whatever is going wrong. And that does happen. So the, the, the legislative branch can do that. The executive branch could sign it quickly. And then the judicial branch could enforce the new uh, law. And that would help things move quickly. That would be the legal way to do it. But if we have a moral reason, we then look toward the Declaration of Independence. Now, I'm not telling anybody out there, go break the law. By all means, I don't think it's a good idea because there is a price to pay if you do, period. If you break the law that we have in place, you are subject to whatever penalties that that law comes with. That's, it's really that simple. Now, somebody would have to prosecute you and, and whatnot, but I, it's just not, it's not the, it's not the risk that's probably worth taking. There, there are other ways to do it. And I've already gone over those. So if you choose to break the law, which some people say that there's laws being broken when it comes to immigration, well, that's true. I think that, you know, there's, you know, when you, when you look at the different laws on the books around immigration, you, there's a legal way and an illegal way to enter the United States. There's a legal way and an illegal way to process people in the United States. These things are being definitely broken and they're being broken truthfully on you know, with a, a bunch of politicians, right? So some people would say that this whole, uh, you know, DeSantis sending people to Martha's Vineyard that I talked about uh, the other day was, you know, illegal. Uh, you could probably make a case for that. Um, you could also say, why aren't they deporting them? Because a governor of a state technically can't. Deportation falls under federal guidelines. Now, states can enforce the federal guidelines in certain circumstances, but in certain other circumstances, they probably can't. And so it gets, it gets kind of sticky in there. And I say that as an example because I'm going to tell you what the Declaration of Independence, which, by the way, is not a legal document. It is not the Constitution, although it does guide a lot of the constitutional language and it guides a lot of the early um, regulations and rules that, that came into play. There is a line in there that I'm going to read to you because it's really interesting and it highlights this, this case for moral reasoning for moral reasoning behind um, a, a, a government that is overreaching. Anytime that the government is overreaching. Now, that's hard to determine. So I'm not saying that that's happening right now because it's 
really complicated to determine if it is overreaching. Some people would say that, you know, Biden is overreaching or Trump was overreaching or, I mean, when you look at the different presidencies over the years, we get executive orders now, like they're candy. You get hundreds of executive orders. That is, that is a phenomenon. It is unbelievable how much that is occurring. And it's, it's occurring at a greater rate all the time. I don't understand it, but it's happening. Right. It's it, it, some people would suggest that it's an executive branch uh, breach of uh, of responsibility. They are abusing their power. Some people would say that the executive branch abuses their power when they do all of these executive orders. So if that were happening, there is nothing in the Constitution that makes it legally OK to overthrow a government. I'm not suggesting we overthrow a government. But I do want to read this because it's an interesting line in the uh, Declaration of Independence. And it says, uh, here, let me see what, uh, I mean, it's second paragraph, maybe two-thirds of the way through. It says, but when a long train of abuses and usurpations pursuing invariably the same object evinces a design to reduce them under absolute despotism. It is the right, it is their duty to throw off such government and to provide new guards for their future security. In other words, in the event that the three branches are either colluding against the people or two-thirds of them, or one is abusing its power, it is very important that the others step in and say no. By design, remember the Declaration of Independence is not the Constitution, so it can't say you can break the law, but it does clearly set a tone. Now, why was this in there? I read recently a book, uh, a history book, uh, that really talks about the early days of the United States. And in that book, it describes the um, abuses that were in place as the U.S. was being created. The abuses here in the U.S., the abuses in Europe— the abuses um, in, in with the French, uh, with the English, with like w when you're talking about Germany. I mean, there were governments that were abusing their own people, and it could be suggested by some people that we are approaching that or there in the United States. Now, I'm not suggesting that. I'm telling you what some people talk about in our culture. There's a way to change this. It is, you know, the way to overthrow a government is really clear. You create laws that limit their power so that they can't abuse the people. It's limits that create less abuse. That's the, the model set up in the United States with the legislative, executive, and judicial branch. Now, will that take time? Yes, it's like stopping a train. The train is going 80 on the tracks. You need to slow it down. It's going to take time. But there is a legal and moral way of doing this. 
You don't have to just go with the moral reasoning and say, we're going to ignore the law. It's going to take time, but it can be done. If you are in that camp that says breaking the law is illegal no matter what, so we shouldn't break the law, but we should change the law so that the people are represented more clearly. Now, in our model, it exists as a potential. And at the end of the day, it's your responsibility and mine. Now, I know many of you are, are thinking, wait a minute. You're saying this is not a political podcast. It is not. I am not telling you what to believe. That's the difference. A politician is going to tell you what you should believe. You should be pro-government or anti-government. You should be pro-abortion or anti-abortion. You should be this or you should be that. I am not telling you which one to be. I'm simply outlining the cultural expectations that have been laid out by our history and by our current model, because it's foolish for us as a people to go naively bouncing into our future, not knowing these things. And I am terrible at history. This is not my favorite topic. I'm simply doing it because it needs to be done. You may be going, well, how does this connect clinically? Very simple. Very simple. I tell people this all the time. In in a clinical setting, if a client sits in front of me and they don't understand the system they are living in, they are naive to how to change it. If you want to change yourself or the system that you're in, you have to know how it works. So with a family that comes in, let's say, I will say, okay, what are your roles? You know, and the, the first thing they do is look at me like, what do you mean? What are our roles? I'm the mom. There's the dad. There's the kid. No, no, no. What are the roles? What are the roles that each person takes on or has? Well, I'm the provider of finances. I'm the provider of compassion and care. Well, I'm the provider of compassion and care as well. And so there's a lot of these overlapping roles. If we don't know the roles and responsibilities that each person in the family provides, we can't make changes effectively, efficiently, and with respect to all parties. We can't do it. It's impossible. We have to first be aware of the roles and responsibilities that we all have within the home. Sometimes I get this. A kid says, well, I don't really have a role. I get up, I go to school, and I come home. I mean, sometimes they take out the garbage when they ask me to, but I really don't have a role. And I look to the parents and I say, why does your son or daughter not have a very clear role in your home? Because without a role, what happens? We care less doesn't mean we don't care. We just care less. When we have roles and responsibilities, we care more. Why? We have to. If we take a look back at, you know, or around us, you know, kids who grew up on a farm and they have to get up and they have to go feed the animals. They have roles and responsibilities. Does that mean they have a perfect or a better life? Nope. Not suggesting that but they understand from an early age 
that if they don't meet the expectations of their role and responsibility, that the animals suffer. And if they have good parenting, that means the kid will suffer. Because if, if you've got an animal that's depending on you to live, right, which is an animal on a farm, right, they're not wild animals, they're not living on their own, they depend on you for food and water and shelter, and if you don't take care of them, they could die. Well, a kid that lives on a farm learns that pretty early on. We take care of the animals. Why? Because we want them to live healthy lives. That's why. So what happens when they don't have a role? When they don't feel like they, they belong there. And then they seek outside roles and responsibilities. In other words, they move more quickly and more deeply into their friend groups because it gives them a sense of belonging. So you're wondering, if you were wondering how this all fits, if you think about understanding our cultural system through that political lens, you have to know your roles and responsibilities. One, you are supposed to follow the law. If you want to change a law, you're supposed to do it through the legal process. You are not supposed to break the law to try to change the law. Some people test that and get away with it. I'm, I'm telling you that because not because I'm wanting to encourage you to break the law, but because it is reality. I don't think it's right, but it does happen. The better way to go about it, change the law through the system that's there. You introduce a bill. Really, that's what you do. Make the change through the system. And if you don't like the system as a whole, then create a better system. Well, we're seeing some of that, right? When you see the far left and the far right, like I'm talking about the extremes. I'm not talking about how the politicians talk about, you know, even the, the, the moderate left and the moderate right are extremists. I don't agree with that. I don't think that that's true. I think we're just focusing on the far left and the far right. And so it looks like the far right and the far left is the majority. And it's not. It's just not. I, you know, it, it's not based on my own experiences. And I, I can almost guarantee if the people were all to pay attention all at one time, which I know is impossible because some people think that their role doesn't matter. But if people did believe that their role, their responsibility to vote and to represent their town and their people and their community and their nation, if they did that, I think we would see that there are way more centrists than there are extremists. It's just the extremists are really loud and get a lot of attention. I really truly believe that when you look at things from a, a, you know, a, a mile high, looking down at it. I think that's what's actually happening. The extremists are getting all the attention and well, not all, but a vast majority of the attention. And that makes it look like it's distorted. Well, take a better look. That's what I would suggest there. So there are some things that you can do. You can create groups and protests. Just obey the laws. Help your voice be heard. 
you could start a podcast. Go for it. The, the idea of breaking into media today, so much easier than it ever was. It's not easier necessarily to get attention. And as I've learned, it is very difficult to do it through proper channels at times, right? Like I tried a month of experimentation on Twitter and they still don't let me see my analytics, which by the way, is a little bit ridiculous. Now I was told, and I agree with this, that a, a company like Twitter is is a private company. So they they don't have to follow the uh, you know free speech guidelines. That, true, that's true. But when they don't, we should take a stand and say, you know what, you're not the right forum. And mostly stay off of there. I don't engage hardly at all on Twitter anymore. After doing that experiment and seeing the narcissistic tendency of it and seeing how the the powers that be decided to just, you know, block me on things, like that's silly. Why? I mean, for marketing purposes, I'll post on there, but that's it. I spend maybe, you know, 30 seconds, uh, 45 seconds putting stuff on there and then I get off. Like I'm not exploring on Twitter like I, I did during that month because I don't agree with their way of going about business. So I'm not going to give them my time, energy, and resources. I put that stuff out there just because I know a lot of other people do. And truthfully, if I had, uh, you know, more people paying attention, I probably would stop doing the Twitter thing altogether. And right now I'm trying to build a brand. That's not easy to do when I'm staying neutral and, and doing it this way. So sometimes I have to do things that, you know, uh, I, I wish I, I, I didn't have to do. And that's one of them. But to engage in that, that, that unhealthy forum, I'm just, I'm not going to do that so much anymore. It's just not, not for me. Right. So I'm going to find healthier forums. There are other forums, not as unhealthy. I mean, still can be unhealthy, but I, you know, that, that's one that I'm not going to engage in too much. So that's to me, a form of protest. I'm protesting that private company because I don't know, they're deceptive and rude and I don't agree with them. So generally speaking, I'm going to stay off of the Twitter. It is what it is. Okay. Well, I'm hoping that out of this, you've got a couple of nuggets, maybe three or four of, of things that help you experience the world more authentically, interact with it in a more realistic and informed manner. And hey, if you got feedback for me, please give it to me. Like I, I put the uh, little uh, 30 second bleep at the beginning and at the end so that you know how to get in touch with me. I also uh, post this stuff on social media. Um, you know, let me know what your thoughts are. I always like to hear that. Thanks for joining us. Have a great day. We really hope you enjoyed this episode. Please take a look at our website at www.healthyperspectives.com with a dash in between the healthy and the perspectives, make sure there's an S at the end.com. So again, www.healthy-perspectives with an S.com.